0: CHAPTER SEVENTEEN OF NORTHWEST THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN RECORDING BY ROGER MALINE NORTHWEST BY HAROLD BINDLOSS CHAPTER SEVENTEEN Dillon MEDITATES When Stannard reached the settlements, he was again examined by the police. He knew where frankness paid and was frank. But he owed something to Trooper Simpson's narrative, and something to his personal charm. A magistrate ordered him to pay a rather heavy fine, and give up the bighorn heads, and then let him go. But Stannard doubted if the police were altogether satisfied. The officer who examined him was remarkably keen. On the evening Stannard returned to the hotel, Laura and Dylan occupied chairs at the table on the terrace. Electric lights burned on the veranda, for the days got short, but the sunset was not altogether gone. Dylan saw Laura's face in profile against the fading reflections. She looked away from him to the north, where pines and rocks and snow were all deep, soft blue. Her arm was on the table. Her body was partly turned, and Dillon thought her strangely beautiful. All the same, he wanted her to look round. You are quiet, he remarked. I'm thinking about Jimmy in the wilds. Do you mind? Not at all, Dillon declared. When Jimmy was round the hotel, I had no use for the fellow. Now he's in the mountains, I'm bothered about him. Somehow, one likes Jimmy, and if I knew how I could help, I'd start. Laura turned her head and gave him a curious glance. Why do you like Jimmy? He's English, and you're frankly American. That is so. To begin with, I've no pick on Jimmy because he loved you. If he had not loved you, I'd have known his blood wasn't red. Then, although he's English in a sense he's our type. He's sincere. We are sincere, you know, and perhaps from your point of view we don't use much reserve. You can move us, and when we're moved we talk and get busy. Well, Jimmy's like that. He's marked by something generously human, but I doubt if he got it at London clubs. Maybe it's his inheritance from the folks who built the cotton mill." Laura said nothing. She doubted if Frank's willingness to state his grounds for liking Jimmy altogether accounted for his rather unusual effort. Indeed, she imagined he labored to get a light on a subject that puzzled him. "'Well,' he resumed, to know Deering went after Jimmy as some comfort. IF JIMMY GETS UP AGAINST IT IN THE ROCKS, DEERING WILL SEE HIM THROUGH. YOUR TRUST IN DEERING IS REMARKABLE. HE'S A WHITE MAN, SAID Dillon WITH A SMILE. TO BE HIS FRIEND COST ME HIGH, BUT NOW I'VE CUT OUT BETS AND CARDS, I'D SOONER HE'D GOT MY MONEY THAN ANOTHER. YOU SEE, I GOT SOMETHING BACK. THE FELLOW'S BIG. Laura was annoyed. She wanted to feel Deering was her antagonist, and had exploited Frank's trust. The trouble was, she could not altogether do so. But she dared not admit that Stannard shared his guilt, and perhaps his reward. To chastise Deering, so to speak, exculpated her father. "'He is certainly muscular, and rather gross,' she remarked he's flesh and blood i doubt if you quite get us yet in the west we haven't cultivated out rude emotions we like a fellow who plunges at an obstacle sweats and laughs and sometimes gets mad we're up against savage nature and our job is a man's first job to satisfy human needs well you know my father He's a pretty good Western type. When he started in, his food was frugal and his clothes were overalls. Now he's moving forests, and architects come to study the office block he built. But if things go wrong in the woods, his superintendents know he can use their talk and handle a camp pole. His power springs from the primitive streak. Well, let it go said laura and indicated the long rows of pines melting into the gloom dark now come soon before long the frost will come and in the mountains the cold is pretty fierce on puget sound the soft chinook blows and the white Olympians stand between you and the winds from the rockies the old man's keen for me to bring you back what about our starting Laura blushed, for she had agreed to marry Dillon soon, but she said, "'My father cannot go yet. So long as Jimmy is in the mountains and the warden cannot tell his story, I think he will remain in Canada. Perhaps he ought to remain.' "'Oh, well, you can reckon on Mr. Stannard's taking the proper line,' Dillon agreed rather moodily. You feel the thing's mechanical. Mr. Stannard is like that. Mechanical, said Laura, lifting her brows. His taking the proper line's mechanical. He doesn't bother about it. In the West, his correctness is somehow exotic. If my father is exotic, I expect I am exotic. Sure you are like a bird of paradise or a flower from the tropics we are a rude lot of hustlers and your grace and beauty carry us away you're romantic but sometimes you're rather nice laura remarked with a smile all the same if my father resolves to remain in canada it is not a mechanical resolve but because he feels he ought I expect that is so, Dillon agreed, and lighted a cigarette. He thought Stannard ought to stay, and since he meant to do so, to doubt him was not logical. Yet Dillon did doubt. For one thing, the fellow was Jimmy's friend. But when Jimmy started for the rocks, Deering, not the other, went after him. Then Stannard's narrative was puzzling. Jimmy had run away, and his going indicated that he was accountable for the warden's getting shot. If Jimmy imagined he had shot at a deer, he ought to have stayed. Moreover, Bob had run away, and if he had hit the warden, it was obvious that Jimmy had not. Stannard's tale was not plausible and since Stannard was clever, Dillon imagined he had not told all he knew. But Dillon began to see his vague antagonism had another foundation. He was frankly western, and Stannard's type was new, although some people in down-east cities cultivated his qualities. On the Pacific slope, men were highly strung, optimistic, and rather boyishly keen. They plunged into big risky undertakings, sweated, and fought. In fact, where nature was not yet conquered, their part was protagonist. Dillon owned that he himself was loafing, but he had not loafed long and would soon return to his proper occupation. Stannard had not an occupation, and Dillon thought the grounds for his distrust were there moreover he had not a bank-roll although he lived extravagantly and indulged his fastidiousness his habit was to strike exactly the proper note but sometimes its monotonous accuracy jarred fastidious cultivation was for women yet stannard was not at all womanly dillon began to sense in him a hard calculating vein for all that he must not exaggerate and laura was not like her father you could of course join my folk although mr stannard would sooner wait he said i think not my father planned the excursion to the mountains and led the party until people are satisfied about the shooting accident i must not go to your house now you are ridiculous "'Dillon declared. "'All the same, I will not go,' said Laura, firmly. "'Then I'm going to stay with you. "'I'd like to stay, but if Jimmy wants me, I'm his man.' "'I don't expect Jimmy will need you. "'Father imagines he's a long way off, "'and will soon reach the plains,' said Laura, "'and began to talk about something else.' jimmy was not steering for the plains he had in fact known for some time that he could not get there the morning after deering joined him was calm and cold the sun touched the high rocks and in places a pine branch sparkled with dew but a thousand feet below the camp the mist was like a level floor one could not see the valley and the turmoil of a river came up with a faint horse throb, as if from a long way off. Jimmy's fatigue and gloom were gone. He felt fresh, and to see deering fry pork was comforting. He got a rather frugal breakfast and lighted his pipe. "'What are our plans for today?' he asked. "'We must try to get a deer.' fresh venison's most as tough as rawhide. But if you put the roasted meat in a bag with salt, after a week or two you can eat the stuff. How many cartridges have you got?" Six, said Jimmy, and Deering smiled. "'You started for the plains with six shells?' "'Well, I've got a box of twenty-five, but somebody has taken out ten or twelve. Looks as if we want to shoot straight. The pork won't hold up long. Where do we go when we have got a deer? I reckon we'll go north, said Deering, thoughtfully. They talk about new railroads, but so far the only line of communication between the Rockies and the sea is the CPR track. THE SETTLEMENTS FOLLOW THE LINE, AND WHEN YOU PULL OUT OF THE NARROW BELT, YOU'RE IN THE WILDERNESS. THE POLICE WILL, NO DOUBT, RECKON ON YOUR TRYING TO MAKE VANCOUVER. WE'LL STOP IN THE WILDS AND LET THEM WATCH THE RAILROAD UNTIL THEY GET TIRED. BUT IF THEY FIND I HAVEN'T GONE TO VANCOUVER, WON'T THEY TRY THE BUSH? LOOK AT STANNARD'S MAP, SAID DEERING WITH A SMILE. Note the row of ranges and valleys running north and south. But the big ridges and furrows are not even. They're broken by high bench country and cut up by cross spurs. Pretty awkward ground to search for two fellows' tracks. Our trouble's not to hide, but to get supplies. All the food they use in British Columbia comes in by the CPR jimmy studied the map and agreed moreover he was young and the wilds called to plunge into the great desolation was something of an adventure and deering claimed to know the bush what about your hired man did you trust the fellow deering resumed i had no grounds to doubt him jimmy replied in a thoughtful voice bob was rather inscrutable and didn't attract me but he could chop and this was all i wanted so far as you can calculate he hadn't a pick on you not at all i think he was satisfied with his pay and since i generally let him plan the work we did not dispute all the same sometimes i imagined he gave me a queer moody look "'Do you think he was, in any case, Stannard's man?' "'Certainly not,' said Jimmy, with some surprise. "'Anyhow, I don't see—' "'I don't see,' Deering admitted. "'I'm looking for a light, but don't get much yet. "'Well, when you have smoked your pipe, we'll hit the trail.' They got off a few minutes afterwards, and at noon reached the bottom of the hill a high spur blocked the valley behind them and the echoes of small avalanches rolled across the rocks deering declared the sliding snow would cover their tracks at the neck but their line was to some extent obvious and until they could break it they must push on as fast as possible to push on fast was hard Fallen trees and tangled brush blocked the gaps in the rows of trunks, but by and by Jimmy, looking through an opening, saw the woods shine with reflected light. The trees were like silver trees. They sparkled as if touched by frost, and for a few moments Jimmy was puzzled. Then he said, Rampikes? Deering nodded. "'A big burn. I expect it has cleared some ground for us.' A short distance farther on, the brushwood vanished. Underfoot was a soft carpet of ashes, from which the trunks rose like columns. Their branches were gone, and the smooth, round logs reflected the light. For a time, to get free from entangling vines and thorns was a relief but the ash was soft, and when one disturbed it went up in clouds. The black dust stuck to Jimmy's hot skin, and he labored across the clogging stuff. Then the desolation began to react on him. The birds were gone, and the feathery ash was not broken by the tracks of animals. It was obvious they would not find a deer. All was dead and but for the noise of falling water the silence was daunting at length jimmy stopped and leaned against a trunk come off said deering although i'd sooner keep on my feet you don't want to lean against a rampike jimmy was tired and sat in the ashes how do the fires start he asked it's puzzling THE FORESTRY PEOPLE CLAIM THEY'RE NOT SPONTANEOUS, DEERING REPLIED. AROUND THE SETTLEMENTS, A FIRE SOMETIMES STARTS FROM A BURNED SLASHING AND THE POLICE GET AFTER THE HOMESTEADER. ALL THE SAME, YOU HIT brulee in COUNTRY THE INDIANS AND PROSPECTORS LEAVE ALONE. ANYHOW, I GUESS WE'RE LUCKY BECAUSE THERE'S NOT MUCH WIND, AND WHILE OUR LUCK IS GOOD, WE'LL PUSH ALONG. They set off, and some time afterwards the roar of an avalanche broke the brooding calm. The noise swelled and rolled about the valley as if great rocks were coming down, and then Jimmy heard a near, sharp crash. He jumped mechanically, and looking back saw a pillar of dust float up like smoke from a blasting shot. In the dust, a big rampike slanted, broke, and plunged. Another went, and Deering pushed Jimmy. "'We'll pull out!' he shouted, and they began to run. When Jimmy stopped to get his breath, the echoes had died away, and all was quiet. But he felt he had had enough of the burned forest. After studying the rocks and gravel on the hillside, he turned to Deering. "'You talked about breaking our line, and I expect we could get over the spur in front,' he said. "'Let's try.'" End of chapter seventeen Recording by Roger Moline.